0: This podcast is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, the folks at Bella Catering are one of the best catering companies in the whole of Australia and especially in Sydney. But due to the coronavirus restrictions, those lovely folks, led by Glenn and Maria, are unfortunately struggling. But we can help them, and I want to help them with this show. So if you guys can and you like delicious things, and you're in Australia and you're in Sydney and you're within about a 20K to 30K radius, which is pretty much the entire um, Sydney basin. If you want delicious food at a great price and you want it delivered to your house, bellacatering.com.au is where you need to go. Absolutely delicious stuff, family stuff, like, you know, huge, huge get-togethers that we're doing virtually and things like that. You want leftovers, you want that sort of thing, bam, bellacatering.com.au. Glenn is absolutely a deeply questionable individual. However, that should not be held against him. He has a lovely wife, he has a lovely family, and they've got great staff, and they are awesome. Awesome. Now, on to the show. The Watergate story had stalled, maybe even died. The reporters could not understand why. Bernstein's administration contact, the former official, was also unable to get any useful information and joked, or so Bernstein thought, that the White House had gone underground. Bernstein protesting was shipped back to Virginia politics. Woodward decided to take a vacation. On July 22, the day Woodward left for Lake Michigan, the Long Island Afternoon Paper Newsday reported that a former White House aide named G. Gordon Liddy, who had been working as a lawyer for the campaign committee, had been fired by Mitchell in June for refusing to answer FBI questions about Watergate. Liddy, 42, had come from the White House as the CRP's general counsel December 11, 1971, and had later been appointed finance counsel, handling legal advice on campaign finances and contributions. Like McCord, he was an ex-FBI agent, but Devin Shumway, the committee spokesman, said Liddy's duties were unrelated to security or intelligence gathering. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Joining me to talk... Well, it's a Bradley minute. It's an early Bradley minute. So anyone who is a fan of Alan J. Pakula's 1976 masterpiece, *All the President's Men*, knows that when you have on screen the best supporting actor, best supporting actor Oscar winner, the legendary Jason Robards playing Ben Bradley on screen, it's awesome. This movie is as good as it gets in those minutes, and therefore, I need a guest who is as good as it gets to talk through those minutes. This is one of my favorite people. He's a Scotsman that is so pleasantly stranded in Australia right now, and we are happy to have him stranded here. He is a freelance journalist. Uh, You would read all of his stuff at the New Daily, SBS. He's been at The Age a bunch, and Time Out um, very recently in a stack of things. But he's kind of a man about town, a great critical and cultural mind, as well as particularly film criticism. And he's my favorite because he openly criticizes me on the podcast that is his recording when he doesn't like his Assigned Minute of Any Minute podcast, which I have to say I enjoy immensely. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my distinct pleasure to have one of my favorites. Here he is, his beautiful Glaswegian voice, Stephen Russell on the show. Stephen, thank you so much for being a part of the show.
1: It's always a pleasure to be here and I can I can neither confirm nor deny that there might be a minor complaint about this <laughs> in it as well.
0: <laughs> I love like, all right, I'm going to gift wrap him a Bradley minute here, baby. Here we go. Here he is. There can't be any complaints. Uh, just, sorry, hold that. Hold that. There may actually be a complaint. Mate, it's great to see you. Um, it's awesome to have you on the show again. Last time we talked heat. I wanted to talk to you because I knew you're a film mind. We, we discovered then at that time you weren't such a Michael Mann head. You haven't since necessarily grown into one, but we certainly helped sort of cultivate your appreciation there. I don't know if you're a paranoia cinema person, let alone a docudrama person per se. So I thought we might, as a starting point, like talk a little bit about, you know, where, where does all the presidents men, where is that in your movie lexicon? Is that something that frequently pops up in the cycle? Is it something that was really influential? Because you particularly strike me as someone who, uh, as part of your writing career anyway, you've worked with a stack of editorial teams. So you've worked all up and down like papers and online journalism and TV and indies and and all that sort of stuff. So I feel like you'd have an affinity for it as many as much as any people.
1: Well, funnily enough, like actually, all joking aside, like I, I was really psyched when you tapped me to talk about this particular film. It is one of the great, one of my great joys. I absolutely adore this. I, right. I love. I, th- I think it's sort of the, the real. It sets the benchmark for people dorking out over the the, the, the nitty gritty of journalism yes. and, and how that's actually kind of thrilling like by rights if you said this film is 90 percent two dudes sitting at their desk (laughs) on a phone
0: or just or or one dude (laughs) often each of there's two guys but often it's just the one guy and it's them making five phone calls in a row and you're like how, how in hell could that possibly be compelling Where's... Like it
1: just—it doesn't make any sense, but it absolutely does. I mean, first of all, like, I mean, where, where do you even begin? I mean, this 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 film is obviously hung on a particularly, you know, nuclear mic drop moment in American history. First of all, <laughs> yeah. but. what... Well, what I love about it is that it doesn't, you know, it's not in the, it's not in the Oval Office, it's not, you know, Nixon is there in, 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 well, real footage, archival footage, but it's not about him per se, it's not about the criminals, it's not about, you know, it's, it's literally the journalist as hero, it's kind of Raymond Chandler, you know, that kind of scruffy, disheveled, White knight detective out there, you know, fighting for justice.
0: If you split Philip Marlowe into two atoms, <laughs> it's Woodward and yeah. Bernstein because Bernstein gets all the haggard, shoe leather, messy, on smoking, and then Redford Redford as Marlowe is just the, you know the straight posture, the great extraction of information through conversation, um, and the observant yep. one there. Yeah, no, you're so right. It's um, it's that and. You just touched on one real quick thing that I want to not necessarily digress but just dive down is I don't know if it's maybe I don't know if it's maybe like something that i'm sick of in sort of Dramatizations of big historical events is being in the halls of power and It's it's not like it's shakespeare's fault because sort of shakespeare gets it but maybe that's my favorite That's why maybe julius caesar is my favorite shakespeare play because it's not a really about Caesar. Like, he's in it and he's doing stuff and he says the speeches um, and it's not really about Mark Antony. It's about Brutus. It's about someone yeah. fending off all of the shit in the court that is not necessarily the pinnacle of the halls of power. Like, he's the conduit between those two things. But I think that's what one, one aspect I think we haven't necessarily explored so much on the show yet. So it's exciting to talk to you about it today is like, I don't – I don't like this story if they do go into there because it's a different, it makes the whole, it changes the entire dynamic. Like I don't, it's so hard to balance it. Like if you're in a a biopic fever dream, like Oliver Stone's Nixon, like you want to be there. You want to see him going fucking loopy in that White House, right? That's, exa- that's where yeah. you want to be. But for this movie, you can't have it like that you you can't you can't have these guys as the flies buzzing around this office because it it totally you know it's a comp- obviously it's a completely different movie but it's a completely different story it's like you know because p- the experience of the american people is and and the western world and people following along as as uh, readers at the time is this experience it's the outside in it's behind closed doors it's fortified it's it's impenetrable and these guys are scratching the surface and very very occasionally when you think that this thing is this impregnable thing bricks and walls and turrets start falling down <laughs> and you're like oh well, shit, maybe this isn't what we have been impressed has been impressed upon us that it is at the moment
1: well i think i think you've hit on two really interesting things that make this film absolutely sing and actually i think the Shakespearean. Angle is really pertinent. It's like in the Henry ad, the, the best stuff in the Henry ad plays is not, it's not the crown. It's Falstaff and Hal pissing yeah. on and that, that, that friendship and the betrayal when, when, when Hal does become, you know, elevates to his destiny. And so, yeah, it's like the, the best stuff is not in. Is not in the halls room. of power. It's, I don't want to,
0: I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in the throne room. The throne room bores the shit out. Maybe that's just like, that is totally can be my inclination because you see shows like the crown where people Mm. are enraptured. They want to be, they want Mm. to see behind the scenes. They want to be in Buckingham palace. They want to see that. Whereas like anytime they go to, you know, um, Princess Anne or wherever it is, the Queen's sister. I'm like, yeah, get me there. That seems way funner. Like, let's go there. One hundred percent. Wherever that is. One hundred percent. The Queen's boring is bad and, like, shit. Get me to the sister. She looks like she's having a great time.
1: Totally. One hundred percent. You know, when you've <laughs> Look and the the thing is as well, um I I oh gosh, I've kind of completely lost my train of thought now. What was I gonna say? Oh yeah, House of Cards, for instance, is a yes. great example. The the first season is absolute genius and so much better than anything else that comes in that okay. in, in, in that, and it's because for nine oh well for at least you know at least seventy percent of the time it's not in it's not in the White House it's the it's the jobbing journalist t- chipping away
0: Ch- chip, chip. At,
1: yeah you know
0: I and you know I didn't realise that's why. I couldn't pursue House of Cards because I lo- I loved. I love that you know, obviously, a deeply pro- problematic series. In reflection, <laughs> it's been really enjoyable. Today, the day that we're recording this is um, in America, in Australia, it's laps today. It's Al Pacino's 80th birthday. Is actually the day we're recording this. So there's been some wonderful clips. Oh, um, happy birthday, Al! Happy birthday, Al! Bless you. I dedicated two years of my life uh, to your masterwork in my in my mind, and, or one of them. Um, and uh, when I was, you know, you scroll through Twitter today, there's some great clips and people referencing stuff. And there's a great scene from Glen, Gary Re- Glen Ross where he just tears Kevin Spacey to smithereens. And it's a fucking, like, it's the greatest dressing down. There are... Many C words there is like, it's, it is just, it is glorious and it is both glorious in the context of the movie, but it's also glorious in the context of like the Hollywood pecking order, because it's like, don't you know how to do your job? Like, you know, he's like, and you just go, that is an actor talking to someone who, who is a pretender. Um, and yep. thus yep. Is the dynamism of the scene. But um, one of the things that I've been thinking about today because to get back to Kevin Spacey in that series, that was one thing that I just couldn't – the second series never got me there and then it never brought me back because I liked his character, Frank Underwood, messing with things farther afoot on the outside. And obviously the series' aspiration was to say, look, these fringe characters can actually ascend to power and – much political fuckery can happen. And then they kind of got in there. And as with all things right now in the current political climate, it's like, uh, actually we couldn't write this stuff. Like we couldn't, we yeah. couldn't actually write how bad, bad shit it is. Like it's, it's impossible, but that's, yeah, that was never my get bag. I, I think that being on the outside, watching all those people try and penetrate in and all the games that they have to play even to yep. get close, um, was, was always more fun for me.
1: And look, that's why I really like particularly the, 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 you know, this early part of All the President's Men Because yes. unlike something like, I guess uh, You know, a, a more recent comparison in Spotlight yeah. Where it is very immediately apparent And centred what what the investigation is yes. What what the scope of it is and who they're going for Whereas what I love about All the President's Men Is they don't have a clue They, <laughs> they, they start this film with you know the break in and there's there's some there's some strange you know concurrencies and who who's involved and who they're connected to, but they have no idea nah. of of the size of this of, of of how far up it goes. They're just you know it's the bit I love as a as a journalist and, and you know I've I've done my time as a new I guess most people see me as a cultural reporter. But when I started out, I, I did shifts with the Glasgow Herald newspaper, and my, one of my first gigs was with The Big Issue, where I literally was doing news, features, and arts. So I've, I've kind of been at that cold face where you're you're pulling strings, and you're trying to figure out what the story is, so and you're calling bunch of people and a lot of it's dead end but you know then you get and and just before the scene you know you get you get a phone call where you're like
0: hang on a minute what
1: and and then the story begins to become a bit clearer
0: it's and what's good is the movie plays the greatest trick i think in that It's so good at getting you to this moment and this place and this headspace of people who have no clue what the picture is that you kind of get to go on the ride with them every time. Like even though the monolithic Nixon is there. And as you said, I think I love that is like the nuclear mic drop in American modern history of an impeachment or a a threat to impeach. And then obviously a a resignation coming up. Um, We forget that. And, and I think Spotlight in its in its funny way is that like right at the beginning of the movie, as you said, it's the picture of darkness is completely shown to you and, and, and you as the audience, you're in that fortuitous position of going, everything these people are saying is true. And it's like yep. that's actually McCarthy's kind of unrelenting pursuit is to like watch the frustration of pulling away perception. Like, no, this yep. is actually true. It's actually true. Like yeah, yeah, use yeah. those instincts. Like you've been trained that this is this couldn't happen, that morality would be the guiding principle here but no dark shit happens and so yeah you're so right that's a they, they're two great modes to play with but i think equally you've got these nuclear stories that are just taking the completely like inverse approaches to them and so i, I kind of like this because it's the same reason why you know even the guest in the preceding minute to yourself Jedediah Ayres, is a great uh crime noir writer in his own right, and is a is, is a bit of a i i call him like a he's almost like the biographer of cinematic and television noir um, as, as I, I know him. And that's why he's entry point into this movie. I'm like, these guys are shoe leather detectives by another name. Like they yeah, are like, but and they totally. And so um, that's, that's really fun. Oh, Glasgow Herald stories. We're going to dive into that, but this is such a magnificent minute that I cannot wait another second before everyone who's listening. hears it. Um, so Stephen and I are going to watch along. You guys are going to listen, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk all about it. And just remember, Jason Robards is absolutely monumentally outstanding, and he makes three other actors, one of them the biggest movie star maybe the world has ever seen in Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, and the incredible Jack Warden, also Oscar-nominated, all look like they've never... Acted before, look like they're little schoolboys. So let's have a watch of this scene and we'll come back and talk about it. This is a goddamn important story. It, it,
1: it, get some harder information next time. Bradley just sticking for the Kennedys. We didn't have it, though, so. Bullshit. we had it cold. No, we didn't. Why don't you say so? You think fishing about it is gonna get the store where we want it? Throw it in the can.
0: Can I preempt your complaint already? Can I, can, I, can I can I go out on the <laughs> I don't line? It's it's like, what do you think it's gonna be? like I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think yes. I think it is Blake, you got me to deep throat answering the phone and not even saying a word. Is that what it is? <laughs> yes.
1: You goddamn motherfucker. Last time I'm like, you fucking gave me a clap. And he, here that is literally the one minute before preamble to like a big gun battle, and then then you literally get me and walking into the phone booth and making contact with deep throat. I'm like, you, you are a sick man, Mr. Howard. and it's You know what?
0: <laughs> it's the only minute with Bradley and deep throat, and you got it. You got it. It is technically Luke. the only minute that has those two guys in the same <laughs> scene. Uh, look, it's look an- I'm, I'm
1: mostly, I'm mostly teasing. You. I absolutely love this minute, but yeah, I could not, I could not I, let this play. I, I, I that.
0: didn't, I didn't even think about it. To be honest, I was like, I was like, what could it be? I'm like, oh, of course, I should have known. I've watched this damn, t- damn scene too many times. Um, I get focused on the front end of this scene because of yeah. a couple of things: anticipation, um, anticipation for an outcome and then just two yep. completely different approaches. And I feel like as a younger man, I was all Bernstein. I was all like, that motherfucker doesn't know. Right. And now yep. a little bit older, I'm such a more of a Redford Woodward guy here. I'm like, we didn't have it. Interesting. I'm like, we didn't have it. I'm not going to bitch about it. I got the feedback. Let's do this. Oh, a wonderful minute. Tell
1: me. Yeah, absolutely. And, Well, as I was saying, you know, obviously my news chops in in my career do come when I'm a cub, hungry cub, you know, absolutely convinced I'm going to be the next big thing, you know, um, (laughs) and then getting properly mauled by my actually brilliant editors who know a hell of a lot more than I do so I, I, like, I love it. I, it this scene rings so true to real life you know any any journalist who's convinced that they've got something they'll go out there with passion I absolutely love this clip open for you know Hoffman like this is a goddamn important story and he's and he's you know his boss is basically like right okay well prove it then because you haven't
0: so far (laughs) we'll get better get better information and it's like what what i think the context of us is like we're watching this movie we're now 30 minutes into this thing and we finally feel like there's a breakthrough and even even jack warden is there as harry rosenfeld and he's like giving us everything and he's like yep this looks like it's good and he's like who's the source just the like no bs separate set of eyes who's the source like how high up i don't know titles it's like, well, there's a hole. Bang. See ya. Like he just turns that article into Swiss cheese. He's just like, boom, boom, boom. Stick it inside yeah. someplace. Um, and,
1: I, and th- you know, this is so true. You got it. You got to do the legwork. You've got it. You've got it. Even, you know, I feel like the, you know, off record is abu- used and abused badly nowadays. But, it, but even back then, whole you know, magazines, people-
0: whole magazines live and die by off record. How does new yeah, idea yeah. exist? How, wow. does, how does how does how does <laughs> one of those magazines exist where they're like a source says it's just fiction? It's fiction. It's everything's.
1: No. Uh, I I know. Well, also that you know nowadays the politicians are literally doing that. That's that's part of their spin. That they're they're you know. I feel like actually nowadays I think half the problem with the, the the political gallery in Australia is because these guys are too much in bed with each other. They shouldn't be hanging out. They shouldn't be having little cosy wee chats every week. Like in my mind, the journalist is supposed to be the spear of justice, pronging their dirty little bums. And you know that this film is all about that. They're not. They're not buddies. They're, they're they're more planned than these and that's that's the way the relationship should be.
0: And what's what's great about that, and this is a this is where you see the dig at like oh, he's a Kennedy Shill, you know, like this and that, and he won't write about Nixon. It's one of those first insights you get into into especially early Bradley or pre Pentagon papers, Bradley, as we'd have to understand it of like, entanglement with politics and not just being exactly as you said, a spear um, because they can't be friends. Like you can't be friend. Like I, I know that it helps to have relationships, to have contacts, but it's like when these guys are sent to power, you can't be buddy, like you can't be pally with them. You've got to be ferocious with them. And so I think it's like those voices of reason in, in whether it's journalists or whether it's satirists, like that was the one thing that you used to love about Jon Stewart is if like, if he didn't agree with something that Obama did at the time. He would go at him hard, just like he did with Bush, yeah. just like he, you know, all of that. And it was equally fun to to go back and forth. But I think it's really absolutely. Tough. I mean, what? Oh, sorry, you go ahead.
1: I was going to say one of the, one of the least favorite things, actually, on on both in America and here, is. The, 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 the idea where they all have a ball together. I'm like, that is absolutely insane. If I was a political journalist, there is no way I would ever agree to have a big, fancy, all-expenses-paid party with the pollies. I think it is corruption at its worst. <laughs> <one.
0: laughs> it's like, you know what? If I drink this whiskey here and eat this delicious seafood or, you know, decadent steak, like if, the, if those guys think for a split second tomorrow that I'm not going to reveal something really incredibly uh, volatile about their career, they've got another thing coming. Yeah. Look, uh, it's, it's a quandary, right? It's, it's the same, you know, and you and I in the culture lens don't necessarily have to do it, but it's like, um, it's like that inclination of, you know, uh, and this is what I respect about sort of s- certain film reviewers and things like that. It's like, I can't review this guy's next movie because they're my friend. And, and like there's, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. The, and, and it's like, I can't review this objectively. There's too much mess. I I know that they mortgage their house. I, you know, I know that they did that and there's too much of that, you know, whatever whatever you call it, nepotism or just, you know, osmosis of like, I know too much and it wouldn't be fair because if I genuinely did love it, the best I can say is I love it and go see it. And if I didn't like it, I'm not going to say a word or I'm going to say it was a valiant effort and, you know, I'm proud that they got to make it or something. You know, there'd be some, you know, platitude that would get you over the line. <laughs> but it's one of those things. And it's also like um, what's lucky about, some of the stuff that I do is that there are plenty of stories I hear that if I was like a pure movie news person that you could just go to town, but that's not the role. Like the, the, like I think someone in my position, I see like, Oh, it's good to have a relationship because you can have a conversation about a text with someone. But like, if you have to be one of those pure movie news people, then sometimes you're going to hear shit and print shit that people don't like, even if it is a fact.
1: Well, look, I think you probably know me well enough, like that. I, I'm just not really biologically capable of not saying what I think. So even <laughs> if you're my good friend, oh, you probably just don't, you know, <laughs> you're, 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 you're gonna get the brutal joke from me, whether whether you're my yeah. buddy or not. I reckon.
0: No, look, I, I, <laughs> I look. While you're being paid to write the review, there's nothing you can do. But you know, like there's there's certain certain folk who might go pitching something to an article and go, oh, I'm not going to pitch that because that one. That wasn't my yeah. favorite thing. Uh, I don't want to do that yeah, it's really funny and so this is this is what I love about this dialogue so much is Harry mm. is Harry's reserved he doesn't say a word it's actually Bernstein and, and you know he he's sort of saying that's good and he's like, nah nah throw the side someplace whatever and he just walks off to go and investigate a little bit further but this is this is where I think that Woodward actually rubs off on Bernstein a lot. Where he's like, Yeah. What are we gonna do? Like, are you gonna sit here and bitch? We don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanna get on the front page? Let's get some hard stuff and let's make it happen.
1: I really love that shot as well, as far as establishing shots go. It's a beautiful you know, Redford's just got that even even in a even in his kind of, you know, corduroys, he's just got that kind of American slouch that's just you know, it's that it is the Marlowe character like he's off on you know on, a, on a mission get, now? And, where do
0: we get some of that corduroy back, Stephen? I ne- we need it back, and I mean I, I know maybe, maybe it's only because he's as beautiful as he is to pull off that much corduroy. Like maybe that's I, what it I, is. But I'm just like every time I watch him, I'm like, <laughs> I've never wanted to wear corduroy so much.
1: I, th- I think well, but I think that I think it's another I think it is the nuclear mic drop again. You know, Red, <laughs> Redford like. We hit Pete Corduroy with Redford <laughs> and there is no man that is ever going to gonna raise that bar like that. It's done. It's
0: done. Every, every costume designer in Hollywood instantly pens down after this movie. It's done. Guys, Redford yeah. or Corduroy. It's Sorry, Redford.
1: <laughs> he should have got the Oscar for best Corduroy wearing, you know.
0: Just <laughs> while they're adding more categories that we don't need. Yeah.
1: You know, why not? Let's do it. Let's sing <laughs> Yeah, but I love it. I mean, and look the phone the, the phone booth is just so It's a that, that that's that's where it's a pregnant but, image in, in cinema anyway, you know?
0: Oh, well look, you know, I'm giving you all these beautiful perpendicular lines, I'm giving you the Washington streets in the seventies, I'm giving you this classic old beautiful phone booth and this coming in. And it feels like it's, it feels the, the way that the split diopter is working. It feels like the call's being listened to, even though it's, well, maybe it is, but it feels like the call's being yeah. monitored, especially if you've yeah. got something like the conversation yeah. or anything like that. You see that big, what looks like institutional building behind that phone box. It looks like it's being monitored. And he starts making the call, the call to intro, you know, another nuclear mic drop character in this film.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and look, I I mean, I I, I think, you know, I I think I probably was guilty of some pretty long bows last time, Blake, and I'm probably (laughs) just going to, because, it got so sue me, but the the massive dark in me also feels that, you know, the phone booth is kind of impregnated with, with, you know, hero imagery as well, you know, everyone thinks of Superman going into the booth to spin around, and you know, do a thing, or, 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 you know, Doctor Who, like for me, there, there's so much about a, a hero being in a phone box anyway, that kind of, you know, the, it signals that there are big, powerful fights to come.
0: And that is not a long bow to draw, but particularly because Redford was the guy they wanted to be Superman, They for the longest time, they wanted him to be Superman in Donna's yep. and they and and it was Donna fighting tooth and nail to go no you can't have Redford because he's gonna overpower the whole movie like we need someone unknown yep. to get this to make this character work um it already had Brando obviously and people like Hatch, <laughs> Hackman, <laughs> Hackman attached so you're just like no I don't need another you movie. Know,
1: Brando he's such a subtle, you know I mean that's he's you know- <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely subtle an underscore you know barely known actor I mean oh. just, a, just a you know a young punk trying just, to make his way in the movie world and
0: they're paying him like a million bucks a minute to be in this movie basically <laughs> like that's I made Steven spit up his wine but they are they're like Fuck, all right. it's just impossible but no you're so right there is there is something and This is where, like, the sort of classical, it's kind of a moment in time and a moment in art where, like, for the longest time, as you said, like, you've got Doctor Who, you know, the TARDIS and this entryway. You've got Superman since the 1930s using phone booths to get changed and then, therefore, every superhero story since. and, And you've got these entryways and there's sort of these heroic iconography that comes there. But, like... Right now, in American cinema, and therefore that what permeates through Western cinema is phone booths are anonymity. They become like it, like it, 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 takes that thing of like anonymity and you know superheroes doing their thing, either traveling places in secret or getting changed and not revealing their secret identity. But it takes that anonymity to like a whole nother height and level of like I do not want you to hear what I'm saying, so I'm going to walk out of the place that I have a phone because it's going to be bugged. And I'm gonna go from that. So it's this I, I I wanna I wanna add your bow and like add another string on it and say like but this is that it's so pregnant with stuff that it's like actually a turning point moment where it says now every time I see a phone booth, I think someone's up to something no good. Like that's that's where Absolutely. I, that's where I now I'm like they're up to something. If you're gonna public pay phone, yeah, 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 yeah. even all the way up into contemporary times into like the wire. If you go all the way to the wire, which is 2002, like people are still dialing payphones in in the middle of Baltimore, you know, uh, projects to get drug deals and, and say coded messages. It's like, like this is a yep. place where you're, you're making calls because you really don't want to be found out and you want to use different ones at different times.
1: And look, if you want to, if we want to jump back as well to our, our Shakespeare chat, you know, it is there is even that shot, it, You know, it's there's the there's the, the the castle. You know, the fort that must be bro- breached, and, and and the phone tower is essentially your. You know, it's the siege tower. This is the the little guys trying to break down those walls. You know, that's, yes, that's what it is.
0: Yeah, one little guy making a phone call, and he's swiftly hung up on. It's like it's like I can't talk about this. Well, I know it, it, it makes it it makes it feel really it makes it feel really bad. Um, like oh, sorry, makes the chances feel really bad right at that moment. Yeah, it's a like. I also think that it's so. This is how this is one of those things that you. It's impossible to predict. You know, And I think even the, the alchemy of this movie could not have predicted how well the immediate contemporary choices that they were making to stay focused on these granular things in these guys' story that play 40-odd years later. Like, they play, like, really yep. calculated and deliberate narrative and artistic choices, but from a, like, pound-for-pound, pound, this is what we do, like functional perspective they're also serving to go hey this movie is being made for people who've had nothing but watergate in their faces for like three years like nothing like especially if you lived in washington it's been on the front page of your major metro like pretty much every year since 72 and now it's 76 yeah. well i
1: yeah, I mean, like the whole—I mean, Redford was obsessed with it. He made this entire
0: thing. like he kind of made the
1: book happen as well. I think. Yes. <laughs> I yes. think. I think.
0: Didn't he, did not- he talk them into writing the book? Yeah. Well, he t- <laughs> I think they were in the midst of writing it or in the midst of talking about it. Like, hey, you know, people are saying we should do a book, and he's like, no, you. A, you definitely need to do a book, and B, it can't yeah. just be your stories. It has to be about your investigation. It has to be about you guys. Yeah. Them and what you did and sort of like he planted the seed it's an unbelievable it's the 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 entanglement is almost like it's almost like someone explaining quantum physics like it just starts to get yep. so messy and weird that your brain starts to go wait hold on so Redford like
1: well what, I, what yeah <laughs> so and like, what no. I love about this is you know so he he is this huge driving force in this film and, and indeed with the journalist like he's really embedded in this story And what I kind of really love about him, because he's also at this point in his career when he's assuming control, where he's, you know, stepping out from just being behind, uh, sorry, in front of the camera, and he's becoming, uh, you know, he's making projects happen that he wants to be in. But what I kind of love about him, and I think it always says a lot about a brilliant actor, is that he doesn't then cast himself as the showboat. He plays the kind of, the straight man to Hoffman being the big wild thing and again that's such a cinematic you know it's such a wonderful trope of the you know the straight guy and and the, the fiery c- tempestuous guy and how together they they're actually this brilliant team even though they kind of don't really like each other but then they become you know bffs and <laughs> I, I just like i Relationship in this film, I love, I love Redford stepping back and being the, the more straight guy. You know, it's, it's just
0: great. And it's also it's a very um, it's a very thankless straight guy too, because like although he's great and they're great and they're obviously the heroes of this story, when you put it in direct contrast with something like Butch Cassidy and The Sundance Kid, like he's playing the the cool guy, like Butch is the ultimately the smart, wise ass. But he's playing mystical, like couldn't be cooler. Um, maybe one of the yeah. coolest cowboys we've ever seen on screen. And that's like a really – that like that Mount Rushmore or that top 10 of coolest cowboys ever on a screen is fucking outlandish. Like it's a very hard-fought category to get into. So, you know, he's, he's doing a lot of stuff. But, but, yeah, like it's the more thankless of the two roles because Carl's like – the heavy smoking lurking firecracker and he's like and 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 the guy who's technically a better writer and the guy's had more experience and all those things and he's the green guy and yet he's he's still such a force like he's uh, and i think and i think we we just sort of hit the nail on the head in this scene of what why they work it's that carl is cynical about the world and cynical about the journalism industry and has kind of got these opinions whereas you know, the fact that he's green and he's like, we just need to get better has like this refreshing and, you know, a breezy title, like, Hey, you just got to forget this bullshit. And this is a new story and we've just got to get it. Like, we've just got to get this story no matter what we've got to do. And, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's also impossible. Like, yeah, he, he literally basically helped get the book written, cast himself, cherry picked the greatest roster of, People that have ever, almost ever, resembled to make a movie together, made it. It worked, and it still plays forty years later. Like,
1: yeah, one hundred.
0: It's a miracle. It's a. Fucking- Although I do, I do
1: love you know, even even in this era now where you know essentially the entire Nixon shebang is completely dwarfed by the insanity of what we're going through right now, and yet this story. You know, it's still a jaw-dropper. Everything about it is, it's a thriller. It's a thriller told in a newsroom, and I love
0: it. It's funny that you said that. It's like, the whole time I've been doing this project, I never thought that I would get here. Maybe it's my isolation brain. But it's like, Nixon was all right. Like, he's fine. <laughs> it's just like...
1: Look, I don't, I, don't think I'd, I don't think I'd say all right or fine, but, <laughs> but we currently have an insane future dribbling demagogue who thinks we should inject bleach.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> a, a fellow, a fellow Brit, you know, in, in, when in when we're talking about not a Scotsman but like you, UK uh, com, uh, compatriot of yours, Ricky Gervais, yep. who is an increasingly controversial yeah. figure. Back in 2016, yeah. wrote a tweet that was like. I know why Donald Trump can win an election because bleach bottles say do not drink as a warning on them. And he tweeted that statement back in 2016. And someone found it today, Stephen, on Twitter and said this tweet might have to go to the Hall of Fame. Like it, it might have it might be the Hall of Fame tweet of like there are, yeah, pe- yeah, 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 yeah. There are people around America right now, politicians you know, celebrities, you know, influential people that are going, please don't drink bleach. <laughs> I mean, we're, we have come to it. An- please. please don't inject yourself with bleach. No. And in Australia, you and I go, we, we, we look over across the pond to our friends and compatriots, especially in culture. Like a lot of our friends are just like, this is absolute madness. And I can't imagine the level of infuriation and shame that they're feeling like, you know, the and, and, and exhaustion, just sheer exhaustion at the, the the stupidity of the whole thing and then he oz and it's like you know what there are there's some real conservative weird fuckery that happens in australian politics but right now in the midst of this crisis i don't have many complaints yep. i have nah. basically zero complaints they've tried to do stuff some of our public uh, some of our public have done dumb things some things have been poorly articulated but there is nothing more powerful to me right now, you know, we're in the midst of a we're talking political movie, so I feel like it's okay to say, but like there's nothing more powerful to me than the leader of the country going, Hey, there's my chief medical officer. I'll let him answer that question. He knows better. There's just like I'm like that's the right that's the right thing to do. That's the right thing to say.
1: I I do I do think there is though a direct line from Nixon to where we're at. Like he yeah. he he poisoned the well of Camelot. You know, from that moment on, even even though you know plenty of you know presidents beforehand had had dodgy stuff going on. You know, and JFK was no angel, um, but from that moment on, America no longer saw. You know the the head of government as as quite as godly. The fall opened the path to, I guess, where we're at now, where people just don't trust politicians at all. Like he's got a lot of responsibility for that. But I do want to quickly jump in as well and say that when it's funny you mentioned Gervais there, weirdly, because uh, in in a totally different way, this. Watching this scene again did kind of remind me of The Office. Like in, in a sense, there is that that you know that idea that it's that it's not. It doesn't feel like a stage drama. It feels like some dude just literally walked into a newspaper office. Yeah, and is is just seeing what's going on, you know? And the warps and all kind of look at that. It makes me actually think of The Office a little bit.
0: Yeah, because uh, I, I, we haven't talked about that, but I think I love that is because in the office, the office always feels effortless because they just made it an office. They just like, this is an office, this is exactly coming out of our, we're ripping it out of our brain, this former place we used to work, the entire layout, it needs to look exactly like this. And if it doesn't look like this it doesn't work, and these guys were so meticulous about this, and this is where I praise the background yep. acts. You know, I, I think if there was a drinking game for all the Presidents yep. Minutes podcasts, it's every time that Blake, the host of the show, praises the background actors. Because, and and so yeah. so guys, take a swig. Because again, it's just everything. It's the alchemy of them. It's the even us. I've run out. Um. So, oh, but, totally. <laughs> but 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 even but even Bradley himself just in the preceding minute and in this minute, the way he walks from his office to that chair and how well he knows that, that walk, I love that. I also then love feet on the desk, comfort level, like love that. Every desk has got mountains of paper on it, like so many drafts of different copy uh your own copy like three days worth of papers both probably washington post and new york times you've got the compendiums of american politics on there you know just everything about it and uh, you're so true it's like it makes it effortless it's it's that then when it's it feels lived in it feels like it does not feel like a stage anymore that's where you can
1: go and actually I don't know. Do you know where, do you know? I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this. Do you know where they filmed it? Was it filmed in the offices or is this a stage, a sound stage?
0: Exactly. So um, it is exactly the layout of the 70s office of the Washington Post. It is not filmed there. And I think largely right. because um, they were going to be too disruptive. So they built the yes. whole thing in Burbank. Uh, in in, yep. in Los Angeles to film it. They bought the same chair suppliers, the same company for the tables. Okay. Like they literally supplied it as if it was there and even shipped in a waste paper from the waste paper baskets in the office in the Washington Post in Washington themselves to fill the waste paper baskets in this office. and So, really? much, so much so that Woodward and Bernstein who are on set frequently and Bradley – um, who came down and, and the whole editorial team really to just see their, uh their Hollywood yeah. counterparts were very, yeah. were very freaked out. We're like, holy, like, holy shit. This is the Washington post. <laughs> like it, you, you basically you've cloned my newsroom and it's, it's here. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's it's well, just effortless. the very
1: fact that I'm asking you that. You know, yeah. that that kind of show is, But the very fact that I I I could quite happily be convinced that that was the waffle. You know, it's it's pretty amazing to look at.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, I I think it's, and and you know, unlike when we talked about Heat, which has like a hundred shooting locations in a movie that's 166 minutes long, um, you know, or hundred plus rather, um, it's. For a movie that revolves around it, it the whole thing hinges on it. You know, it's one of those yeah. things that also I think Zodiac has in common with it. You know, the the San Francisco Chronicle newsroom is so important to that movie, and so they make that 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 space so important. Similarly, Robert Grace and his house in that movie is like so important that his house, everything about his apartment, is is is, is identical to that. And it's one thing that I don't love as much about the Post. Um, is I think that Kay Graham's house is really important in that movie and almost Ben Bradley, so Tom Hanks's house, so Meryl Streep's house in the film. Th- these mm. this opulent personal spaces are really important. When you get to the po- Washington Post newsroom, it almost feels like, oh, they just didn't do it. to <laughs> Whether they did or didn't, it's like it just doesn't feel like the, you're the president's newsroom because in my brain, that is the Washington Post newsroom. Any other newsroom that's trying just, just doesn't yeah. work.
1: I mean, look—it's—it's it's a fine film, but it doesn't—it doesn't have it doesn't the top that we're looking at here. It's not—it doesn't feel lived in. Those people don't feel like real journalists. They don't, and it doesn't ring true for me. The post, I have to say. I mean, it's—it's it's perfectly enjoyable for what it is, but it's not on the cal- calibre we're looking at
0: here. See, for sure. see that honesty, folks. This is why he's never going to be invited to that ball.
1: Sorry, <laughs> Merrill. Sorry, Tom. I know, Tom, we almost killed you. I'm sorry, Thank but whatevs.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? They're, they're finding the cure with Tom Hanks' blood, apparently, so that's another piece of news that's breaking right now. <laughs> so,
1: Well, there we go. We're back to Superman, aren't we? America's dad is going <laughs> to save us all.
0: <laughs> Finally, I have to ask, are you a pacular guy? Are you a... Uh, are you a Parallax view? Or are you a Clute guy? You're a Pelican Brief guy, I, I, or, or particularly even, you know, I I heard the other day a great, uh, there's a really great discussion going online about noir films, and they were talking about great noir directors, and I, I deferred my I deferred my expertise at times to you, as as we collectively do, to great people who are just experts in the field, and there's a couple of different noir experts, and and I I only know this person as. At the nitrate diva, um, and they were talking about uh, who's a noir expert, and was just talking about. So, in noir films, it's almost as telling when you select a cinematographer as it is a director, especially in those old classic noir films. It's like if you if that if it's got a great cinematographer, it's almost equally an indicator of it being worth your time. As a director, whereas we, you know, if you are a bit of a vulgar or a tourist uh, in the later years, you are like, oh no, it's it's a director or nothing. So I just wonder if if, yeah. if you are a Will's guy, a Willis guy rather, or if you are a a, a Pacula guy in any of your other casual viewing.
1: Well, no, it's really it's a really interesting question. I mean, I I do love a lot of those films. Like Pelican I think there is that, and that's what I say. There is that that kind of thriller aspect to it that that, uh, it just, and I think it does permeate the entire DNA of the film. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan.
0: Stephen Russell, this has been a thrill. Thank you for sharing a wine and your time with me to discuss this. (laughs) Thank you for getting to the precipice of D throat. The next episode, people are going to be able to hear us discuss the first words spoken um, from Hal Holbrook's deep throat on the phone to Robert Redford
1: and right. if there is not a mention of X-Files I'll be really disappointed but, I mean, that's all
0: I'm saying. <laughs> Look, it definitely is in upcoming minutes what I can say for those okay. episodes that have been but um, I've got a treat uh, I've got a treat I wanted to talk to a voice expert uh, a, a voice acting expert to talk to Hal Holbrook so next episode and I don't really do this a lot but next episode Tasha Valencia who um, has been a voice actor in you know Star Wars, The Clone Wars and uh, a whole bunch of other things uh like you know the batman arkham games and many 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 like just a litany of things um is on the show to talk about how uh how you can be directed how how this performance is constructed how the how all the different phone calls are happening, and and really to get an insight into that, so that'll be a fun one. But definitely, you know, our generation's deep throat who was always a cigarette smoking man, and he does get a mention. So don't don't you worry <laughs> and he, about that. And he,
1: you know, he's, he's even shot, even <laughs> even the lighting. You're like, oh my god, I, I can see exactly Chris where you did that, Carter. <laughs> if you're
0: listening, we'd love you to be a guest on all the present minutes podcast. We know you clearly jive with this movie uh, so yeah if you are listening we'd love to have you Stephen Russell mate always a pleasure to talk to you and always a pleasure to see you I hope you're keeping well and uh, and and maybe just maybe I'll let you uh, send me a ransom note with your demands for another minute to talk about later on and I will let you choose it this time because <laughs> God forbid I leave you on the precipice <laughs> of something important
1: oh darling it's, it's not as much fun unless, unless <laughs> you do it, and then I just <laughs> Bet you on you for it. <laughs> it's been a genuine pleasure, mister, always. Thank you. You're the best. Thanks.
0: The genuine pleasure is mine, Mr. Stephen Russell. Stephen A. Russell. Guys, if you want to find him, go to Twitter, S-A Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, words, Um, is the best place to find him. He's a man about town. He writes for a stack of places. He writes for, as we we already said, he's a film fanatic and and, and he's a a man about town, but he writes for the ABC, SBS, Time Out, a whole bunch of places. So Twitter is literally the best place to start. This has been another One Heat Minute production. Thank you so much for listening along. We have an amazing array of shows. One Heat Minute, obviously, the last 12 minutes of the Mohicans, Increment Vice, Josie and the Podcats, all the Presidents' Minutes which you're listening to today, and our daily podcast Con Ten Gen, which is a tight ten talking to a whole stack of folks in isolation, in quarantine, sort of accounting for in this community everything that's going down. Listen along to that daily. We're going to have great shows coming up for you, some unannounced stuff which we are going to announce to tease for the future. But if you want to support us, we do have a Patreon, and you can find links to that on oneheatminute.com. If you want to go to our site, oneheatminute.com or incrementvice.com, you can find out more about the shows. And if you want to go to graffitiwithpunctuation.com, you can read about Contention and our upcoming six-part limited series, Josie and the Podcasts. Until next time, thank you so much. Subscribe, rate, review, share.